What is up, Daddy Gang? It is your founding father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. Laverne Cox, <laughs> welcome to Call Her Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Okay, I have to ask because I'm obsessed. <laughs> hey, Daddy, I'm obsessed with your outfit. Okay. And every single time I see you on a carpet or on your Instagram, mm-hmm. I'm like, she knows how to dress. Thank you. You've got a vision. I still, at 51, love to play dress up. And I've been collecting vintage Mugler for the past five years, like obsessively. I have to, my business manager, like, you need to stop. Um, basically, I've done about. 15 years of collecting in five years, probably. What the So I need to stop. It is giving, as the TikTok kids would say, cunt. It's giving cunt. It's giving cunt. I love, okay, what I love about, and so many things I love about Beyonce is that Beyonce, through the Renaissance era, has made cunt mainstream because cunt is a is a term, as a trans woman. Cunt has been a part of my, you know, lexicon since I moved to New York. So giving cunt. But then when you go into mainstream context, it's like people, like for many years, I was like, I, people won't know what I'm talking about. It will seem kind of like I'm being vulgar. So I couldn't say cunt. But like for LGBTQ plus folks, giving cunt is like you're giving, it. You're, it's fish, it's, it's woman, it's yes. everything. Yes. They try to make all like feminine parts feel so like oh you're such a pussy you're a weak bitch but cunt gives the same energy where it used to have such a negative connotation i fucking love that we can now be like we're serving cunt these are the contributions of queer lgbtq Mm -hmm. plus people trans people because in my in the trans community pussy has always been fabulous if you're giving pussy it's giving if it's giving pussy you're you are you're lovely. You're gorgeous. She's pussy. Right. Like next time um, someone calls you a pussy, be like, oh, thank there's a you. song from the 90s. So, I, girl, I'm <laughs> see this when you're old, you know. There's a song called um, um, She's Giving Pussy. Um, She's Giving Cunt. She's Giving Pussy. Giving Cunt. I need she's that song pussy, when I walk into cunt. the studio every fucking yeah. day, Laverne. Okay? Um, what's it called? Serving Pussy. Serving. Oh, cunt. Pussy. Oh. Cunt. Pussy. Oh. Cunt. Pussy, cunt, pussy, cunt, pussy, cunt, pussy. I don't know who sings that to look it up, but if you just um, YouTube it. That needs to be our anthem today. I know all the girls watching this are like, thank you, Laverne. Because like anytime someone says something, I feel like a lot of times to a woman, we can always relate. It's like they're trying to put us down. They're trying to make us feel small. And now we're like, pussy, cunt, bitch. Fuck off. What ha- and this is the and this is the sisterhood we can have, yeah. like from trans women to non-trans mm-hmm. women. There is a celebration uh for me, there's a celebration of the feminine, of womanhood. And 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 for a while I resisted my femininity, but when I started to embrace it, I felt such power in it. Yep. It's Beautiful. wonderful. This episode is presented by Sparkling Ice. Turn up summer with Sparkling Ice. They have over 17 anything but subtle flavors, all made with zero sugar and packed with vitamins and antioxidants. Iced tea and lemonade, strawberry watermelon, tropical punch, peach nectarine. Yum. Crank up the flavor. Sparkling Ice. Anything but subtle. 
So you grew up in the deep south in yes. Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. You have a twin brother. I do. I need to ask, like, what is the best part of having a twin? <laughs> There's a lot of things. that I love my brother immensely. But having someone who's literally been there my entire life, we shared a womb together, which is a little creepy. But when my mom... My mom and I are really cool right now, but my mom was emotionally abusive when we were growing up because she was emotionally abused when she was a kid. So I'll say something and I'm like, and I'm like, it was a month or whatever. And I'm like, and she's like, no, it was just a few days. And I'm like, no, it was a month. And I'm, I remember it as a month and I'm pretty sure I'm right. And I'm like, and I call my brother and I'm like, it was a month, right? And he's like, yeah, it was a month. So like the best thing about having a twin brother at this point is that there was someone else who was there who can confirm that I'm not crazy and that I'm not misremembering, right? Because I think that like sometimes, not that my mother is intentionally trying to gaslight me. I think a lot of it is that she, I think if she remembered some of the things she did and said, she might not be able to live with herself. And I say that with the utmost love and respect for my mom. We've worked through all of that. And I can't believe we have. And we're such in such a great place. But I think telling the truth about it is really important. And what I understand now as an adult, as a person who's been in therapy for 24 years now, is that my mother did the best that she could with what she had. And she actually did an incredible job considering. My grandfather was raised on a plantation um, in the context of sharecropping. If we've seen The Color Purple um, or watched 13th, we know that even after emancipation in the United States, um, Black people once incarcerated could be sold into back into indentured servitude. So slavery in so many ways did not end if you were incarcerated. So my great, great, so my great grandfather um, ended up in jail, the long, crazy story. And so basically it was slavery 2.0. So they were still beating, you know, the um, black folks. It was an extremely abusive situation. My grandfather was um, terribly abusive to my grandmother and to his children. Horrible, like horrible, horrible, horrible. But then he was abused on the plantation. That's what he knew. So it's like, I mean, yes, my mother was emotionally abusive, but she put herself through college. She put herself, she got, has a master's degree. She was a teacher. She raised two brilliant children by herself. She owns her home that is paid off. She's retired now with a pension and, you know, she's set herself up. So this is incredible. It, this is incredible. My mother's incredible. I appreciate you sharing all of that because you're so right. Like a lot of us can just at face value describe what we experienced and we have to start to peel back the layers to understand why our parents are the way that they are. And obviously we've progressed so much as a society, still so much fucking work to do, but to be able to look at the previous generations and understand what they were going through, we're just taking time. It's so much time. It's taken time. I had, I I needed years, particularly when I was like, when I really got into therapy late Mm twenties into my thirties, I I went through years of just being angry at her and I needed to be angry and need to get that out. I and think it that's normal, deal. right? Yeah, I think so. I need because I hadn't dealt with. Yeah, I didn't have the tools to deal with the trauma of my childhood. Yeah. I d- I was bullied at school. Um, I was chased home from school every day, and then I came home, and my mom would be like, "Why are you? Why aren't you fighting back? Why are they bullying you? Like, it's just like so. There was no 
sense of safety mm-hmm. um, that I had anywhere. And I escaped through my imagination and I escaped with dancing and um, being a straight A student, um, being a nerd basically was my escape. Um, and so I'm grateful for all, I'm grateful for all of it. Um, but like, it took me a minute to be able to like do some of that healing work start to get into the intergenerational piece and come to that place of forgiveness and understanding. And, um, and even just like understanding now that there's just certain things my mom won't get and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's fine. I meet her where I'm meeting her where she is. You're right. You don't have to take away from the fact that like what you, the abuse you endured happened. It happened. It was real. But when you understand more of the backstory, because again, each generation does get a little bit better, it does help you. But first, I agree. When you go into therapy, first, you're just fucking pissed because you have to heal yourself. Yeah. You can't have empathy for your mother yet. Once you get to a better place of actually understanding, like, I mean, let's talk about it for a second. You saying, you know, you were bullied like that completely shapes a child at that age. And oh, you talking absolutely. about being chased off of the bus, like what what were they specifically bullying you for? I mean, because I was a really feminine kid. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I Before I even knew what sissy and the F word were, I was being called them. So like my first interactions with kids in preschool, like I'm three, four, five years old and, and my, you know, I'm in daycare or whatever. And the kids are calling me sissy. They're calling me the F word. And it's just like, where do three-year-olds and five-year-olds learn this? Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, what is this? You know? Mm-hmm. And I learned that it wasn't a good thing and it was there was so much shame around it too because my mom didn't know how to handle it and she her whole thing was like why aren't you fighting her whole thing was like you fight the bullies and I just was not there was something I was not a fighter I'm a lover not a fighter and I uh, even as a five-year-old six-year-old seven-year-old I felt I was above duking it out in the schoolyard with other kids it felt it felt beneath me, and that and and that was another thing. The kids also thought I was better. Th- I thought I was better than them, and I I talked white and all. I mean, it was a lot of stuff. Being a, a black kid from a working class background, it was that I was very femme, so I was bullied because of that. I was bullied because I talked proper, or thought I was. Um, I they said I thought I was white, um, and just just everything. Honestly, yeah. just wanting to sort of be more I don't know I just I think because the circumstances in the world around me were so not it yeah <laughs> and I understood that early on I, I lived in my imagination and when I discovered television I was like there is there's other stuff out there when I when I discovered the library and books and reading there other things out there for me and I lived in those other worlds I lived in like the world that I saw on fame um on television like I was like I'm going to New York I'm going to an art school I'm gonna be uh, dance on Broadway I'm gonna be an actor like it that was like kept you going. there is a world out there and so I lived there I lived in that world because what was going on around me wasn't was too traumatizing and I disassociated. So I, the disassociation was a way of coping. The escaping into fantasy and dancing all the time was a way of coping. I learned not to even talk about it because when my mother would find out, she would blame me and my brother. Why are they bullying you? And so it was like my fault. And so I wouldn't, 
tell her about it. But then I remember this one time, it was probably sixth or seventh grade, we had gotten off the bus and we had to start running. And then the kids caught up with us. And um, I remember they were um, kids in band. Like it's so, it's so tragic. It's like the band, the band kids are like beating you up. But they had the drumsticks and they were like hitting us with the, hitting, hit, um, beating us with the drumsticks. And so we were getting beat, beaten up like really, you know, it wasn't cute. And some parents saw it and called the school. And, and then the school called my mother. And so my mother then was mad because I didn't tell her about it. And then she was mad that we didn't fight back. And it just was a whole, I was, it was always my fault. Mm -hmm. And so it was something I learned not to talk about. And I remember this time in high school, like I said it and then I remember crying and then just kind of like cleaning it up really quickly. And so it wasn't till years later that I think I, when I was in therapy, when I was able to like, say this all these things happened to me and it wasn't cool and it was painful because there was no I didn't have any tools to deal right. with like the trauma of like never feeling safe anywhere because I think in a way obviously dissociating is a way to survive like oh, yeah. there's just no you can't in that moment do anything other than like like you said like go to a different world in your head watch television find ways to escape yeah. which breaks my heart because as a child really the peer dynamics are just so fucking important to like our formative years yeah. of like understanding like how to treat people and how you can interact with people and the fact that you're running off of the bus and you're being scared shitless like I'm gonna get the shit or even when I me. did have a friend you know yeah. in um, middle school there was I had one friend and then eventually I remember him sort of turning on me and calling me the f word and calling me a sissy and then I so I learned early on not to trust people too I'm my freshman year at the Alabama School of Fine Arts Ooh. Oh, a kid that I thought was my friend my freshman year. I have never said, I said, I only said, I said it for the first time in therapy. Oh God. Just literally like a month ago, I finally said what he said to me in therapy. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm crying. I still can't say it out loud. Um, like in pie can't, I can't, but he called me a racial slur. That was so like, oh, and then there were gestures involved. Um, and it was just like, It was it was another it was another betrayal. So I learned very early on not to trust people, um, and that sucked. It is funny that I'm 51 years old and I still can't say it out loud. It's just so horrible. Um, and I'm and I'm yeah maybe eventually. But when you say that too, Laverne, when you think about that, like first of all, I'm so sorry. Like I genuinely cannot imagine as you're saying that I'm so sorry what you dealt with and I'm trying to think like what comes up for you when you're when you are explaining this like when you're what do you feel when you're like I can't say it I feel like um that's a good question um there's like there's a, humili a humiliation attached to it because he did it in front of a group of people and he was like kind of showing off for them. I think it was that we had sort of been friends and I was the black kid and I was also the like really femme kid. So I wasn't, it wasn't cool and I was a freshman. And so to distance himself from me, he like, he, call he called me a monkey. Um, And he did, like, he made ape noises when he did it. And, um... Wow. 
It was, um, it's so funny because I had been called everything. By the freshman year in high school, I've been called it. Let's just see it. Queer F word. I, I had been called all these things. It was the first time, like, I had, um, it was, I had been called something, like, racialized. And it just, like, it was so dehumanizing. Um, it was so, um, and it was someone I thought I could trust. And so it was, like, the betrayal of it. It was, um, I still haven't, like, and that's, I get really, I get really, really angry when I see things. I remember, um, it was humiliating. It was degrading and dehumanizing. There was a betrayal attached because I thought this person was my friend. I, I just want to jump out of my skin right now. It's so funny. And I've dealt with a lot of trauma. Um, I dealt with a lot of stuff. And this was just, it's still like, yeah, this is the first time I've said it in public. Hey, yay. Um, but um, I have to say what I, <clears throat> what I'm grateful for though is that, for better or worse, I have had my guard up most of my life. I learned when it's safe to let it down and who it's safe to let it down with. And part of why I love being an actor is that that is, I've hopefully with the right director in the right context, I can let my guard down and um, be vulnerable and share these things, even in a podcast context. Hopefully this can be of service by sharing it with people. And that is the the gift of of, of, of sharing things like this that hope to hopefully be of service. But it made me, I don't let people in easily. And honest and quite honestly, it has served me so well in my life yeah. that I'm not when I arrived in New York and all sorts of things, and you know, there were some things that happened that you know weren't great. Um, moving to New York for sure, but I kept a lot of. I was, I was, I learned to be very protective of myself and not to let a lot of people in. And then becoming famous and dealing with like the Holly, all the Hollywood stuff and all the fakery and all that stuff. There was a. I have, and I think being famous later too also helps. But like, I haven't succumbed to a lot of things and I don't let people in easily and I keep my circle very, very small. And I'm grateful that the people I do have in my life who are my real friends, I can be vulnerable with and I can let my guard down with. Um, but I think that's that's been a really good thing, believe it or not. I think eventually I had to learn to let my guard down, be vulnerable, because that's you know part of life, part of being an actor, being an artist, but it's also served me very well. I was gonna mm. say, I think you are damn fucking right for not trusting and opening up and I think from your childhood to then what you're explaining happening to you in college it's like why the fuck would you trust anyone yeah. and I think it's so disgusting and disturbing how this still is present today like how have we not progressed enough as a fucking society yeah. where there are still there was a Nazi march a few it, days ago it's, <laughs> it's fucking mind-blowing yeah. but I'm just so sorry because it makes me tear up listening to you I'm like what the fuck is wrong with people I 
loved that you wanted to do some fun dating stuff. I, I love talking about dating because I have I was talking to a girlfriend and she just started therapy and okay. she's, you know, trying to date. And I realized like how much work I've done around oh. on myself around dating. And I have a lot to say that's oh my God. very useful. Okay. I'm <laughs> I love this. In my humble opinion. Here she comes. I'm 51 years old. I started internet dating in 2000. So I have been online dating, dating apps for 20, over 20 years. Give us the tips. Uh, <laughs> All the girls that are like, okay, Laverne. But I met. The love of my life on Tinder. And it is it is possible. It is tricky, though. And what I've learned, I think the biggest piece about dating apps, but dating in general, um, what I just said to my, uh, to my girlfriend is like, she just came out of a really rough relationship. He was emotionally abusive. He was a gaslighter. And so she's in therapy to try to heal from that. I'm a huge advocate of making a list of all the qualities that you want in a partner, getting really specific. I've done this multiple times, getting specific and learning from the last relationship. All the things that didn't work then, okay, he was emotionally abusive. Okay, I want someone who's kind. I want someone who's loving. I want someone who's working on themselves. I, I have a height requirement. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, all the thing, you know, all the things that, I, that, that I've listed. It's, it's really funny. Everything... The current boyfriend does meet the high requirement. The previous one did not, but I went for it anyway. I was open. Um, so making a list and then everything on that list, are you that person? Mm. Are you, do you meet all of your requirements? If these are the things you want in a partner, they need to be the things that you have in yourself because what I learned dating on uh, being on dating apps on and off for years get being in a relationship breaking up getting back on the apps learning from that relationship processing it with the therapist is that after a certain point i was vibrating on a different level and the fuck boys they couldn't hear the frequency i was on a level i was vibrating so high that the fuck boys couldn't hear the frequency and this it's it's a beautiful thing and and what i mean by that is that like i there's just certain things that became unacceptable in those first few messages i mean when i was on when i was on dating apps so i was i've been on tinder hinge was i only met one guy on hinge hinge was never the app for me um hinge i did Okay, Cupid met a boyfriend there. Tinder, two different boyfriends. Raya was a total bust for me. Such a shit show. Um, Hinge, and then there's trans-specific dating apps. I've been on Match. I was on J Date for six months because I was for a minute. I was I lived in I've lived in New York most of my adult life. I was dating a lot of Jewish men. Like for whatever oh. reason, they were just. I literally <laughs> years ago I was on Chelsea Handler and I said I'm America's premier black transgender shiksa goddess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was dating a Jewish man at the time. But for whatever reason, I was just I, Jewish men. I was finding myself dating a lot of Jewish men. Part of it's being in New York. I don't know what was going yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. But for like a good 10 years, like every guy seemed to be Jewish. I don't know what was going on. Anyway, but like. The, we love that. I like um, um, Happy Shabbos. I got to do. I finally, <laughs> after all these years, I got to do um, Shabbat dinners with. um with two exes ago, I did Hanukkah. You know, you know, we did some things. You know, we did. I we got, love it. Okay, need your opinion on this. So someone goes on a date. Uh-huh. And this is what happens on the first date. Tell me if you would go on a second date with this person. Okay. Okay. He, on the first date, admits he's cheated before, but he'll never do it again. I would need more information. I would ask him why he cheated. Mm -hmm. Has he done work around why he's cheated? What's different about the dude that cheated 
and who he is now, how did he feel after he cheated? And did how he feel change the behavior? I need more information. I would need more information. And then I think that would, you know, people tell you who they are if you cheated before. I've cheated before in the past, but I've not cheated on my current boyfriend and I would never. But I have worked on myself and mm -hmm. I've learned from it. And there were things missing in the relationship. So there were a lot of reasons why I cheated, right? And I thought, thought about it and I did the work around it. So I would need more information. I agree. I yeah. think that's a really great answer too, because listen to everyone listening, like if you have cheated in the past, I don't believe in the once a cheater, always a cheater. It's just no. such a immature statement. People grow, people can change. And again, you need more information. So but have they grown and have they changed? Exactly. Because unfortunately, I wish people worked on themselves, but a lot of people don't. Oh, you'll be able to tell the minute you ask like your first question, why'd you cheat? You'll, they'll show the true colors. Most Absolutely. men would be like, I don't know. Like I just, okay, bye. Yeah. If he's like, this is what happened. This will, if, if you can tell they care and they've grown, yes. But more information. Absolutely, but that's still, good. that's useful information. Yeah. Okay, he's a 10, but his friends absolutely suck. How do you handle that? That's it? rough. It I think it depends on how much his friends are in his life. I, you know, I had uh, my Jewish ex. He was, he, was, he, he was in his late 30s and all his friends were married with kids and they were all lovely people. But I remember hanging out with them New Year's Eve and all of them were talking about their kids. And that's the tricky thing about being like 51. Like a lot of women who I love, who are amazing in my age group, who I would have great friendships with, they have kids or they're married. And I'm just, it's like, kids are a whole thing. So I, friends aren't, it just depends on- The dynamic. It depends yeah. on the dynamic, how close are his friends. But friends aren't everything. Cause I loved my ex's friends. Uh <laughs> so true. And he's out of the picture anymore. And he's out of the picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He gets way too drunk on the first date. That's a red, that's a major red flag. That's probably, that's a deal breaker. I, um, I didn't listen to those signs when I, the alcoholic, abusive alcoholic I dated for four years, he was really drunk and he was mean to the cab driver. I think those kinds of mean to cab drivers, mean to service people. I worked in restaurants for 19 years. Those are deal breakers. Great. Absolutely don't put up with it. Okay, he's hot, but has horrible style. I would see him again. I honestly, I fuck that. I mean, how does he look naked? I'm like, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like my boyfriend, my boyfriend, like he, you know, he's, he doesn't care about my boyfriend. He looks good in anything. Right? So he's, but he's not a fashionista, but a girl, like when he's making me breakfast shirtless, I could give a fuck about his style. I completely agree. <laughs> also, it's like, you can help a little bit if you really get in there, but That's like- insanely good? superficial. It is. I think it's really superficial and it's like you are- that's some immature shit. I agree. Who gives a fuck? If they're a good person. And also, like, again, if he's hot, like, who cares? And he, you know. You don't like a sweater? If you want to <laughs> make him. If you, I don't even. I'm not even into do, giving a guy a makeover. Like, I, like some women are like, fix, I don't believe in fixed right. rubbers either. Right. Yeah. Like, you don't need to change out his closet. Like, if, if again, let him be him. Yeah. And honestly, maybe it's a good thing that he doesn't spend too much time on his style. Like, there can be one person in the relationship, okay? Clearly. I spend enough time <laughs> in a closet for, like, six or seven people. And your bank account. <laughs> does too. Okay. <laughs> like, bitch, I know. Okay. Extremely into PDA on the first date. It depends. Mm -hmm. It did. I mean, it, it has to be, it's at this stage when I, in his, in my history, uh, when there's a lot of PDA on the first date, it's not going to go anywhere usually. Yep. And it just feels like a boundary thing. I, like, 
if he's hot enough and I'm into it, maybe like when I was younger, maybe not now. Yeah. I would go with it, but like I wouldn't necessarily think that that was a guy. And I might, if it was fun and good, I might go out with him again, but I might not. I would keep my options open. I agree. It's like, <laughs> no, I, I, that's a great answer. It's like, if the vibes match it, yes. Like sometimes you go on a date and you're like, holy fuck, that was electric. Like the vibes are flowing, great. But I think like for a first date, like if it's already going so fast, so physical, like if that's what you're looking for, I guess. I but... think what my experience is when it gets hot and heavy really quickly, it fizzles just as quickly. That has been my experience. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, it's really borne out over the years. Mm -hmm. Take, I'm 51, I've dated often and a lot. And when it's hot and heavy from the jump, it fizzles out quickly. That's been my experience. Amen. When I was single, I was like, I dated this, I dated this guy before I met my current boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, I met him on the first date. He was so like into me, but he was like pulling out the chair and opening the door. And I, I was like, whoa, this is probably a mom. <laughs> this, the treatment is cute. It's this, I'm, I'm feeling this, but we probably got a mom. Cause this is, it's, he's just, it's, it was it's too much. Little under a month. He showed his full crazy, and it was it was done. But it was fun. True. It was fun while it was a fun like three and a half weeks. Yeah, like a little life thrill. But and... Being clear about that is fine. Like I was like, okay, I can do this for three and a, you know yeah. for a month and get. I mean, it's for me, it's about the treatment, and this is what I say to my girlfriends. It's like we have to get used to being treated well. We really do because so often we'll find ourselves out there with men giving us, for many, many years, I took crumbs and acted and treated them like a six course meal. I would take crumbs from a man and make that a six course meal. And this is what we must stop doing. We must get used to abundance. And I, I mean, you're laughing, but the girl, how many of us have done that? No, me, everyone in this room, we're like, right? Fuck. And so we have to get used to being treated well and loved on and it's not about money it's a it's about care yeah. and that looks different i mean honestly like just like babe do you want coffee do you want some coffee this morning right. can i make you some breakfast uh, can i rub your feet oh. bitch girl like girl please yes just care you're so right it's like there's we get little crumbs and what's so bad is if you get used to little crumbs then when they give you like a little bit more you get hopeful and you're like oh my god it's like you shouldn't be scrounging around like no. it should be consistent and i think consistency is the key to the knowing the consistency is so crucial because mm -hmm. that that really separates the the keepers from the non-keepers because most of them are not going to be consistent yep. so really like check for that yeah. i think that's one of the big things when you start dating someone when you get to that phase how consistent are they do they show up are they booking the next date do you even want another date? Like how, and so much of it is how they show up in their work too. Yeah. Like so much of it is like, are they, if they, if they're not organized in their work in their lives, they're not gonna be able to be organized with yeah, you. Yeah, it's a good point. When I was on the apps, literally it was auto-saved in my phone. This is for me. So my profile okay. would say in the first paragraph by itself, I'm a proud transgender woman mm -hmm. because as a trans woman, guys don't read profiles. Even when it's the, in bold, all caps, a sentence as a paragraph, I'm a proud transgender woman. They still didn't read. <laughs> so my first sentence, it was literally auto-saved in my phone. It was, um, it, you know, when they would finish the sentence for you, did you read in my profile that I'm transgender? So that was like the first thing when I ever matched with the guy, did you read in my profile that I'm transgender? Mm -hmm. That was the first sentence out of my mouth. 
out of my oh, that I would text and yeah. then like either they did or they didn't mm-hmm. sometimes they were like oh I did they were cool with it sometimes they weren't mm-hmm. um and then have you dated a transgender woman before that was always his second question and then I remember writing in my, my Tinder profile said I have high hopes and no expectations I'm open to a relationship but I'm not necessarily looking for one and unfortunately I feel like for women we have to put that in our profiles I feel like guys freak out on a whole I don't want to generalize but most guys freak out if you say you're looking for a relationship if you say you're dating and you're open it's a little less pressure. I agree. There are guys who are actively looking for a relationship who wouldn't be scared by that. But statistically, <laughs> most men will be afraid of that. Run. So I always recommend that women don't put that they're looking for a relationship, that they're open to one if they meet the right person. But they're Love. just seeing what's out there. I think that's a better way to message it, too, because it's like you don't want a relationship with anyone. You want it with the right person. So, yes, you're open to things. And if the relationship presents itself with the right person, yes. But you're not just going to go fucking date Joe Schmo because he was like and a good just, date. And you just get more... You get, you know, ideally you still, you know, there's a screening process after that, but then you just get more traffic to screen. And then, so then ideally you want to get off the apps too. You don't want to message endlessly. I literally, like there is a guy that I met on like, I was on Yahoo chat, like in like 2006 or something and chatted with this guy we never met. Literally like last year, he texted me out of the blue. No. He texted me out of they the blue always come back last year. Hey, what's going on? Still have never met him. You, if you, if you are texting for longer than a month, if you're busy, like now that I'm busy, it's so tricky. But when I, before I was famous and I had a little yeah. more time, I tried to, when I was single, I would try to go on, you know, three or four dates a month mm-hmm. just to practice sitting across from someone and making small talk. And if you meet someone on a dating app, the first meeting is not a date. It is a screening. I suggest never doing dinner. I think coffee or drink is the way to go. If you can put a time limit on it, it's great. I have 45, oh, I'm really busy. I have 45 minutes or even half an hour. So you can go, you can go if it's so not going true. well. And don't be afraid to end it. In my experience, guys stand trans girls up a lot. Probably stand, I don't know about non-trans women. They're stood up a lot. But like, I got stood up a lot. So I would not leave my house until they were there. Text me when you arrive. You're like, oh, I'm here. Where are you? I'm two minutes away. And I was, but I hadn't left my house yet. Because I'm not sitting around waiting at a bar Genius. for you to stand me up. This is the wonderful thing about it being a drink or a coffee. You can peace out. Mm-hmm. If it's not going well, if the chemistry's off, whatever. If it is going well, oh my God, I'm, let me just move my meeting, you know? Right? If it's going well, let me move my meeting because I'm, I'm just having so much fun. But then you can get the F out. So true. Okay, you're so right. I think, ladies, we like linger too long. And like, I have personally been on dates where I'm like, I'm in fucking pain right now. Leave. Just leave. Save your fucking time. Because what happens is we don't want you to get burnt out by dating. Speed date. Like, you're so right. You don't have to go to a dinner. Just quickly test out. And then if it's like super quick and you still want to see him again, then see him again. But I just feel like we have to protect our energy. Because what I hate is when the girls get like, so depleted and they're like, I can't keep fucking doing this. And it's and it's depleting and it's a it's annoying. And that's and that's and the even the process of getting to the date yeah. has to have an efficiency as well. Ultimately mm-hmm. you want my um my most recent ex, um but the ex before you know the ex before mm-hmm. the guy I'm currently dating, he was like, Well can we meet? He was trying to get off the app and that yeah. was, was like, Love like, it. 
I was busy. I wasn't sure he was short. Uh, <laughs> it was so funny because the first message I was like, have you, you need to read? I'm trans. He's like, yes. Have you dated a trans woman before? He's like, no, I haven't. But that's usually where, you know, I've matched with other trans women before and they're not usually into that. And I'm like, honestly, I'm fine that you haven't dated a trans woman before. The height is an issue for me. <laughs> He was five eight. I'm I'm an I'm an honest lady. You're and then you're too short, bitch. And then he said he then he said something really funny. I don't remember what it was. And I was like, well, short men do try harder, and they do. This has been my experience. And he was so charming and respectful over the course of like a week. I was like, I'll give this dude a chance. And so much of it is about the treatment. And so for me, I had to shift my shift in dating after what I learned because for a long time. I was dating men. There's a. I was dating investment bankers. I was dating stockbrokers and and real estate guys because it's New York and there's like a plethora of them. Okay. And after a while, I found I was not being treated well by those men. That there was. Um, it just wasn't. Yeah. The energy was off, and I just was like. And I ultimately, what I realized is I had a thing for assholes. I had a thing for men who treated me badly because that. They, they were a reflection of how I felt about myself. And so I was consistently choosing men who would reject or abuse me, who would treat me horribly. I dated an, um, an alcoholic who was emotionally abusive for four years from 2001 to 2005. And that was a reflection of how I felt about myself. One of the most important things I can say about dating is getting ther therapy, and then getting a group of people, what I just said to my girlfriend is getting a, getting a friend group, getting a therapist, getting someone who can reflect back to you how beautiful, amazing, and powerful you are. And you can start practicing being in an intimate relationship with friends, maybe repair yourself with family if, they, if they're you know, that kind of family. But then you get used to being seen, being vulnerable, being intimate, and having the beauty of who you are reflected mm -hmm. back to you. Yeah. So that is what you get used to instead of the other stuff, like the gaslighting, the abusive stuff. And then that is what I had um, someone in, in a group therapy situation tell me, I'm gonna, you don't even know how amazing you are. I was, um, I was, I was struggling in a, in a time in my life. You don't know how amazing you are. I'm gonna love you until you learn how to love yourself. And they did. And I, and I had people who saw me and saw the beauty in me that I didn't see in myself. And we have to learn to surround ourselves with that, those kinds of people so that we get used to it. Because when the intimate relationship emerges, when it's time to be in a relationship, and to show up and be vulnerable and intimate, that shit's scary. That shit is really scary. And if you have not practiced that, if you don't know how to do that, that's like weird. I remember with my ex, he was so available and so cool. And I just, it freaked me the fuck out. I was like, what is this? You know? And you have to get used to it. And friends are a great way to do it. Relationships are too. You hopefully yeah. will pick people who help you who see you and 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 understand and treat you with as the as the queen that you are and but you actually have to be in that energy yeah. you have to see it in yourself first because if someone is telling me how amazing and how awesome I am and I don't believe it or if I'm talking negatively about myself in front of them 
then my partner might start thinking and questioning, right? And loving myself more too also means that I have to set healthy boundaries for myself so that I don't become enmeshed in some dysfunctional stuff that I take care of my 50%, my side of the street, that I don't get in, you know, into business that's not mine. Loving myself means setting healthy boundaries, right? That like the self-love and it's and self-love is like people don't talk enough about that. So, you know, I was in um, the friend I was talking to recently. We had a long talk. This is probably why I want to talk about this because people always talk, I love RuPaul. Love yours. How are you going to love somebody if you don't love yourself? But what does that mean? It's how we treat ourselves mm -hmm. and it's our self-talk. Okay. What are the things, the subconscious things we say to ourselves about ourselves, becoming aware of that? How then do I replace that negative self-talk with affirming self-talk? And it's tricky because it's like sometimes you feel silly being in the mirror. Laverne, you're beautiful. Laverne, you're amazing. Laverne, you're smart. You're talented. Um, Laverne, you deserve love and you're lovable because everybody deserves love. And like, that's the piece for me. That's the empathy piece. It's like, not that I'm special. I've I've been very blessed and grateful, but I deserve love because everybody does. Yeah, because everybody does. I think that's such good advice. Like I'm just listening. I'm thinking of like everyone listening, driving to work or at work, like writing this down because it is so helpful and it's actually tangible advice. If we treated a child totally. and said the things to a child that we say to ourselves, it's the Department of Children and Families <laughs> would come and take their child away, and the reality. The reality is that all of us have a little child inside yeah. of us yeah. who needs nurturing. And that for far too long, I abandoned that girl. I abandoned that little girl inside me. I had to let the hot, hot men go for a minute mm -hmm. because I needed to I needed to go with the treatment, with the better treatment. And yeah. so I, I was like, let me date this nerdier guy. And we have to try to date differently too because if we keep dating the same person and getting the same result, we have to try something new. So I went with like attractive enough to him, but like he treated me well and like I felt safe because yeah. for a long time I was choosing unavailable men mm -hmm. because I wasn't available emotionally because I wasn't I didn't love myself enough I hadn't done the intimate work mm -hmm. I wasn't available so I was choosing unavailable men and I was choosing men who treated me badly because I treated me badly and mm -hmm. so then it's like okay to break that cycle I needed to choose kind people who would treat me kindly and people where I felt safe and I remember this one dude um when I first when Orange first came out and I thought he was safe he was a comedian though mm -hmm. and um <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to tell this story. We After we had sex for the first time in my then 315 square foot apartment, he said, this does not look like the apartment of someone on a hit show. And I had lots of shame about, you know, not being poor most of my adult life. And I, and I had shame about the apartment. And I, I'm naked, girl. And he says to me, I just felt so unsafe. But I had done enough work on myself to know this does not feel safe. Like our bodies are talking to us all the time. Does this situation feel safe for me, for my inner child, for the person who needs to feel safe in the most intimate of situations? And when, listen to that, learn to listen to that voice and get the fuck out. No. If you, the second, oh. I don't feel safe with somebody. Done. And can I tell you, my boyfriend is hot as fuck. Fuck. He is physically like everything I've ever thought I wanted. And I let that go. I let that go. And luckily, he's not just hot, though. He, the treatment is there. The love, the care, the safety. All of that is there, too. Like, that. hey. Oh, hey, it's girl. Like, it's like Fuck. jackpot. Um, 
but you know he has his he has his issues he's not perfect but like all of that's there and i feel safe and he's beautiful and he's amazing so it's like hey he's hot and he treats me well so like hey like wow cool um (laughs) it's great and i think the biggest thing once you start dating someone how consistent are they? Mm. I think the biggest thing, especially in big cities, is that guys are flaky as fuck and they ghost. And like the inconsistency is infuriating, but it need not be because they will show you who they are pretty much right away. Right. So the inconsistency clock it if they're not showing up regularly or if they're not getting back to you in a timely, respectful way, then move on and it's not about like these boundaries are not to like a man must do this and must do that it's to protect you to protect your energy and protect your safety Mm -hmm. and your time so if he's like being flaky and I think you should you know until something serious you should have a roster you should be dating a few people you know you should have like a few few people you're dating to see what cream rises to the top if it does you know I I think there's I (laughs) I hate that. Well, once upon a time, I was a hoe. So I had um, (laughs) a slut. I I was friendly. I was friendly. And I had a, you know, I had a little rotation going. And, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So when you're, until you have that committed whatever, have a little rotation going so that, like, you just have options. So for people that are becoming bigger fans today or fans today, what do you hope that they like take away from this and learn about you through this interview? <laughs> it's so, you know, Laverne contains multitudes. I, <laughs> I contain multitudes. It's so weird. Like what's been, what the most fun thing about my own podcast is I get to like, I get to be this Laverne. I, I, the wonderful thing I think about being 51 is that I give myself permission to be all the af- aspects of who I am. I, I, you know, I love opera. I sing opera, not really well, but I do. I love classical ballet. I'm an actress. I'm really into healing. I've done a lot of dating and learned a lot from it. I think about politics. I'm like, I'm complicated. And I think that I would want people to like take away that like, people can be complicated and people are. And I think that like my, I I wanna, whenever I come into a a context like this, I just want people to see my humanity and hopefully have the humanity that they hopefully see in me transfer to trans people that they might encounter in their real lives. Or when they think about, you know, legislation about trans people and that they may rethink um, a misconception or or an idea that they might have about trans folks, like to see my humanity and then begin to imagine the humanity of other trans people. That's always what I want when I go into particularly, you know, diverse um, to maybe an audience that might not be a core fan base of mine. That's always what I want for them to see my humanity in hopes of them seeing the humanity of other people who might have a similar experience to me. As a white woman, like I can't even express how much I understand my privilege and it's and why I'm so happy I'm getting to speak to you is like I want to understand more and I want to hopefully use this platform to 
even if there are a bunch of fucking white people like listening or if whoever it is, it's like understanding what you've been through is it's just the beginning because we need to continue to talk like this. And I'm sorry, it's not your obligation though. And I want you to know that like, it's not your job to come on and you know that. Can I, but you know, and we all, the the thing I want to say about privilege, privilege does not mean that you haven't had struggles. It doesn't mean that you haven't like gone through stuff. Mm -hmm. It just means there's certain things you haven't had to think about. And I, the, I had a, the wonderful uh, opportunity many years ago, I was doing a college talk in um, South Carolina and I got to speak with a group of um, young people before the mm-hmm. um, lecture I was giving. And um, we were sitting at it like a, in a conference room and they had sat themselves at this round table. And ironically, it was like white, mm-hmm. <laughs> Asian, Latin, and then black. That's how they sat themselves. And I go around and I ask the kids, you know, the students, I should say, they were all, you know, freshmen's to um, to seniors, you know, who they were. And you, most of them were with the LGBTQ group or with the mm-hmm. Black Student Union or the Women's Studies, um, Women and Gender Studies um, group on campus or whatever. And so the president of the LGBTQ group is there or whatever. And then so we get to the um, last um, student. He's a black guy. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, I'm really frustrated um, here on campus because at the Black Student Union and the student government, I feel like I have to choose my blackness over my gayness. And when I'm in mm-hmm. the LGBTQ group, I feel like I have to choose my gayness over my blackness. And I'm like, and he's just like, it's really frustrating. And I turn to the president of the LGBTQ group. And I'm like, well, what do you think? He, the, you know, he said this, what do you think about that? And he said, you know, I had never thought about it. And I said, that's privilege. That's privilege. It's not that he was a bad person, that he was like, you know, he just had a blind spot. It wasn't that he was secretly racist. I mean, I think we're all racist, honestly. And when I say that, I think what I mean is that I have internalized white supremacist, patriarchal, transphobic ideas about myself um, as a black person, as a woman, as a trans person, because we live in what Bell Hooks calls imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. We live in a culture that celebrates whiteness over blackness, devalues blackness, you know, celebrates men over women, has all these, we live in a culture and we all learn that. And our work, if we want to come to critical consciousness is to become aware of that and unlearn it. And so I think we're all racist. I think we're all sexist and, you know, and I think that that puts us all in the same boat. So it's not like saying, and I don't like calling someone racist or calling someone transphobic. I like to say this behavior is consistent with a history of transphobia or this behavior is consistent with a history of racism. Like Brene Brown would say, a focus on behavior and not the person, right? So guilt, shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. And guilt is, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Guilt is adaptive. Behavior, if we focus on the behavior, we can say that behavior that language is consistent with a history of the dehumanization of black people calling and comparing them to apes and monkeys is consistent with a history of dehumanization and racism in this country so whether you are racist or not this language is consistent with that history and if you are interested in evolving and not continuing that history, then you may want to think about not using those wor- that language. And then to take it a step further, what does 
accountability look like? Because we don't really know. We we don't really know in this in this country because there we know we don't see people really held accountable. This whole cancel culture thing, and people say it's accountability culture, but then but no one actually models it. And I you know and um, accountability is acknowledging that that you did something wrong and then taking the steps to make it right. Um, One of the best examples I can think of of this um, happened a decade, Lord, it was a decade ago. Um, I was on the Katie Couric show um, when she had a daily talk show with um, um, the model Carmen Carrera. And um, Katie had asked Carmen about, um, she said, well, you have different private parts now. And Carmen is like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about my modeling. That's personal. It's private parts are private, you know? And then um, I was backstage when this happened. And then I come out to talk about Orange is the New Black. And um, then Katie asked me, well, Carmen doesn't want to talk about this. What do you think? And then I you know, I had a whole spiel that people can Google it, but I was like, you know, a focus. I said a focus on surgery and transition objectifies trans people and we don't get to talk about the real lived experiences because that becomes the takeaway. And so many of those portrayals, even when they were humanized, whenever there was a focus on transition, hormone, surgery, even if there were humanized portrayals, I... I found that the takeaway for most of the non-trans audiences were, Camp, can you believe what they do in that surgery? And oh my God, they take hormones and this is what happened. And so it becomes all about transition, this physical thing, and it, be- it sensationalizes us and it doesn't, it takes away from our humanity. And so I've consciously t- um, chosen not to talk about the details of my medical transition because I'm more interested in our humanity and even as, you know, multifaceted and as human as I always try to, you know, be whenever I show up somewhere, that becomes the takeaway. And to Katie Couric's credit, she aired the episode because it was a pre-tape. She could have scrapped the episode. Mm -hmm. She kept that moment in when I was like, we should be focusing on other things. Then she invited me back and said, if we shouldn't be talking about this, what should we be talking Mm -hmm. about? So I went back on her show and we um, had, you know, Chase Strand here. I met him for the first time. He was a lawyer for the ACLU. Um, My friend Teek Milan. And we talked about the real lived experiences and issues of trans people. And then a a few years later, Katie reaches out and says, I just did this documentary called Gender Revolution where I interview all these trans people. And I'm like, what? And she's become this amazing ally for the community. And that is what, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Like being, and it's uncomfortable because there were many people who were calling her out. This is 2014. So it was really one of the first times. It's the first time actually trans people that pushed back against those, that line of questioning on television. Mm-hmm. So Carmen, and that was that I knew about, and I've watched a lot of these interviews. It's the first time I'd ever seen a trans, trans people push back against that line of questioning. Mm-hmm. And to her credit, people were very mean to Katie online, and she absorbed the critique. She and I had a lot of conversations, you know, offline and, you know, yeah. personally. And she is just incredible. And I, there's just so few examples of people holding themselves accountable, allowing themselves the vulnerability of being publicly shamed yeah. too, and then rising above that because it's actually bigger than 
my public humiliation at the end of the day. And then so that, so then the uncomfortability, right? Because then there's the moments of being uncomfortable because you've been called out and the, the vulnerability that's required there. And then the amends piece and the accountability is like, what is the amends? What is the life amends look like? How do I live my life differently? How do I, and everybody, you know, maybe isn't going to become the fierce advocate for trans rights that Katie has, yeah. but what can you do? You know, yeah. what are yeah. the little things you can do to be accountable? And this is across the board. How do we begin to model that? You just said so many truly brilliant things. Laverne, no, like literally I'm like, fuck, I should have had a pencil. I do want to- I, I do no, this a lot. No, I go all I, I, I love place. it because you just, you just gave a fucking TED talk, truly. Like I, I wish I could just- clip that I will I'll clip it and just put it on fucking YouTube because everyone should hear what you just said back to the first point that you were talking about with what is privilege right and I think when you are talking about everyone's struggle is a struggle and it's all relative like there is I'm sure like a white kid in their house that's getting it that's trauma right but there are different levels of trauma that yes and I maybe have... I don't have to think about this like you you like my boyfriend has had his struggles and has been through things. He doesn't have to think about, you know, I'm always like, whenever I'm in a store as a black person, I always make sure my hands are visible and everything's cool so people don't think I'm stealing. I still do that, you know, at this, at this stage of life. Absolutely. And what I think is important is like, of course we all have our struggle. However, there is a different level when you are talking about race and when you're talking about sexuality because there is a complete different scope of hate and abuse and hate crimes that have been specifically targeted toward race and sexuality so and like gender we gender would be remiss well. to not yes bring this up so when you when you say that about that professor i thought it was so interesting and you're so right of like how do we start to acknowledge of people of maybe more privilege like katie kirk is a perfect example i love that you brought that up it's like wow what an interesting dynamic for it is, we can all acknowledge with everything going on now that we are more progressive, I think people can be nervous to be like, Laverne, like, what am I allowed to ask? And and I think there's a way to go about it so respectfully and for Katie to acknowledge like, fuck, maybe I didn't approach it the right way. So now let me take accountability and let me do the fucking work to make sure I can understand. So the next time I sit across from you, I am giving you the space to feel comfortable because also you are the one that's living it. And this is your experience. I have no fucking understanding what it is like to be a trans black woman, but I would like to hear from you. And I think we can do better as a society instead of canceling people. Like you said, I completely agree. Let's welcome conversation instead of closing the door on someone and be like, oh, you fucked up. You fucked up. You said this. Why did you say this? And you're so right. We all are born with internalized misogyny and racism. That's a fucking fact. And I think what you said is so brilliant. It's like, if you can acknowledge that, then we can have progress. There's a lot of fucking people in this country that cannot acknowledge it. And that's where and we there's can't a movement grow. too. There's like this backlash against yeah. it too. And I think for people who are interested though, what I when you get out of the when you get off the internet and start watching television and get out of you know our phones and the algorithms, there are people out there and when you interact with people, what gives me hope mm. um is when I interact with different people from different backgrounds yeah. who are beautiful, loving, who might be from a very conservative background and had all these 
ideas about who I might be because I'm a black trans woman. And then we just get to sit down as human beings. And then like you, my experience has been, it's been all that melts away. Yeah. My experience has been when I sit down with people, you know, like the meeting the parents of the boyfriend, you know, I, I've done that many times at this point. Like all of the, it's so nerve wracking every time. Even at 51, that. it's still nerve wracking. <laughs> but like all of it just, I, we get to sit down and be human beings. And this, all of the, ideas that we might people have about that they think they might have about a trans person yeah. it's just it's like oh no she's just she's just a she's just a person she's just a woman right. she, it's all good right. you know i'm not here to like i'm just here to try to live my life you know 100 percent. i think something again that if when everyone's listening to this it's like i was i'm asking you about your life and your life experiences and what you have been through yeah and I believe there's going to be some people that can relate and some people that can't relate. And yeah. that's what the fuck the point of this is, is to talk and understand. And through your experiences in childhood and through your family's intergenerational trauma, you have gotten to a place where like there is so much still to work on and discuss. And so like who who the fuck is anyone to tell you not to speak about this? Yeah. Um. <laughs> let's talk about your new song. I was watching the music video and I'm like, I just have to I just have to hype you up for a minute of like the it's like a trilogy, right? It's like it's a second in a trilogy. It's yes. so weird. I'm like, I'm so weird. I'm <laughs> such an I'm like, I am an art school kid to the core. I've it we have re this called Gretchen a Trip Hopper Part Two. It is a German lead or song written in 1814 by Franz Schubert. Schubert wrote the Ave Maria that everybody sings at mm. the weddings. We remixed it with this trap beat. And in the video, I'm giving, like, it's based on the story of Faust, too. Um, Gretchen at the Spinning Wheel is what it's called in English. And in the video, I'm, like, giving this um, guy a lap dance. And then I'm also, like, this robot, fembot, that glows in the dark. Um, and it's sort of set in the future. So, like, I'm weird. I'm, like, really weird. And I love it. And I love how weird I am. I love that I'm like an artist and I have things to say. <laughs> I fucking love it. I love that you're like, I think so many people just try to conform and be like cool and like it, do whatever the fuck makes I, you happy. I mean, like the first um, song, truly, I don't know if anybody cared about it, but I like have what I, I'm an art, like being, like I said before, with the what's great about the podcast is it's just me. Yeah. And I love getting, I directed this video. I assemble the edit myself. Every like frame of the video is like, I put it there. If we, we repeated something or something sped up or slowed down, I did that. Oh. Um, my editors had a great um, um, title card and ending, mm -hmm. but everything else is me. And they put it together beautifully, the editors. It's an invitation if people want to you know, think about like, so many men find themselves attracted to trans women through sex work, through porn. And we often associate lap dances with sex work. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be, I've given many lap dances, you know, <laughs> the context of sex work. <laughs> It's really funny when uh, when uh, Lil Nas X came out with um, "Call Me by Your Name," Montero, "Call Me by Your Name." Mm -hmm. He gives, of course, the lap dance to the devil. I was like, I've been doing that for years. I can do that, and even better, I'm gonna do that in a video. 
so Lil Nas X gave me permission to like, you know, to step out of my respectability politics and that. like, you know, bring some of the things I've done in private public. Uh, and I'm 51 and I can, you know, if I can still do this, like we should record it. Um, so part of it was that, but it was also like this uh, meditation on like, how do, is there a way for men who find themselves attracted to trans women, sometimes in the context of sex work to, for that to like move out of that context. And um, Gretchen in the song, um, the original song, Gretchen at the spinning wheel, Gretchen has been seduced by a foul. She's 16 years old. She's a virgin and she's tormented by these sexual feelings. It's like sort of this sexual awakening is, the, um, is what the song really is about. And I remember when I realized I was attracted to boys being tormented by my sexuality when I was in high school and I discovered the song when I was in high school and I thought what an interesting reversal if like Gretchen is the seductress in this context and Faust I call him Fausto in my trip opera is the one tormented and, and struggling and so it's a it's a way to sort of have a conversation about like you know straight men who find themselves attracted to trans women it's just a cool visual it's a fun opera remix reimagining it's fun hopefully and and cool looking and yeah it's something to unpack it is. it's something to unpack mm. it's something to unpack period period. Period. <laughs> period we'd love and empathy yes laverne thank you so much for coming on call daddy <laughs> holy shit i knew this would be the place to spill Girl, tea <laughs> to go in i was ready i came ready did i not come ready you slayed i came ready you came so fucking ready i you left no crumbs <laughs> left no fucking crumbs <laughs> done dude that was fucking amazing <laughs> <laughs> 